0: Couple hundred? Yeah, maybe. All right. Preacher would be lucky to get a hundred. Well, Rick, I got a I got a big barbell for you here today. Yeah. This is your rod. Okay? So what I want you to do is I want you to hold it above your head for as long as you can. Okay. Can you handle that? And if you start hurting, don't don't hurt yourself too bad, all right? But now, yeah, get it up there now. Yeah, none of this little, you know, low stuff, you know, yeah warrior, right? Okay, so you guys can kind of help me. This is going to be tricky now because you're going to have to listen, and you're also going to be distracted at the same time, okay? So Rick, not too many faces. You can have a few, but not too many. Um, kind of keep an eye on Rick, and if, if you see the bar drop below his head, then just like raise your hand, let me know, okay? And we're going to see, uh, see how, how good he can do here. So we're going to be in the book of Exodus, chapter 17, Exodus chapter 17, and we're going to do the weariness of war, the weariness of war. Exodus chapter 17, we're going to start with just verses 8 and 9, verse 8 and 9. And so kind of as you guys, I think you know this, but um, just so that everybody does kind of know, I usually will start off with King James because a lot of people still around our area, that's something that's familiar with them. And so I usually do King James to begin with. But then as I work my way verse through verse, usually I'm using NIV. So you guys just know that I think, but I want to make sure it's clear. And so sometimes you see the differences, you'll understand. So let's look at Exodus 17, verse 8 and 9. The Word of God says this, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Verse 9, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. All right? So if you haven't already figured out, who is Rick standing in for today? Moses, right? How you doing, Rick? You seem like you're doing pretty good. He's got this, he got this steady rocking thing going. I think he might can go a while if he keeps doing that, all right? Um, so we're going to learn a little bit about Moses says he's going to go up on the top of the hill and he's going to have this rod of God in his hand. Now, I want to challenge you a little bit today is that sometimes, even quickly, we can get weary and worn out uh, when we're trying to do the right thing. And some of you guys might have even seen that this week, Right? I mean, you, maybe you even got to like day three or four, and you're like, oh, I don't know, right? I got to get up and try to read this long story in this Bible verse, and then I got to do this challenge. Who thought of these crazy challenges anyways, right? I don't have time for this. I got so much other stuff to do. And so sometimes we can already see ourselves getting a little weary. Look down at verse 8 and 9. I'm going to give you a little background on the Am- Amalekites. Some people say Amalekites, and some people say Amalekites. So if you hear me say both today, you'll understand why, all right? Verse 8 again. So you NIV, know, the Amalekites came, they attacked the Israelites at Rephidim, and Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men, go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Now, do you guys know how the Israelites thought of Amalek? Um, The Cold War is kind of over, so it's not as strong as it was. When I was a kid, who was our enemy? The Russians, right? Even Rocky, remember? Right? And then who was Rocky? Like maybe it was Rocky Four, right? I think three was Mr. T, but number four, who were we fighting? The Russians, right? I mean, there was always in these different movies and things. It seemed like it was us and the Russians, and we were always going at each other. Well, if some of you are old enough to remember that, you young whippersnappers won't get it, but the rest of us probably will. That is kind of the way that an Israelite would view an Amalekite, right? They are the enemy. And what I want to give you just a little bit of background on is this idea of where it came from. So if you have your Bibles and you want to, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 25. It'll also be on the screen as well, but Deuteronomy and chapter 25. You doing okay, Rick? you are doing pretty good. You're doing a lot better than I would do. All right. Deuteronomy chapter 25. We're going to look at verses 17 through 19 and get a little bit of the backstory about what we're seeing also here in Exodus 17. So sometimes we compare different places in the scripture to get a fuller picture, and that's what's happening here. So look at verse 17, Deuteronomy chapter 25. The Lord says through his servant, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. Remember that. It's pretty important. They had no fear of God. Verse 19. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you and the land that he has given you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. Do not forget. Now I want you to think about this, get this picture a little bit. So for hundreds of years, probably 400 years, you have Israelites who have become slaves for Egypt okay? And as they are slaves in this land, Egypt really prospers, right? Free labor is, can be pretty beneficial. <laughs> and so now, what we're finding out is Israel's made its way out. We have the plague. We talked a lot about this last Sunday. They've made their way out of the country of Egypt, and the surrounding peoples, what are they now thinking about Egypt? Oh, this may be our opportunity, right? This great, great, mighty country now has probably been weakened if they're not able to continue to hold these these lowly israelite slaves and maybe we'll take our shot and scholars believe that probably this is amalek is going to make their way to egypt to see if they can take over bits and parses or bits and pieces maybe get a foothold like we talked about wednesday night in the door of egypt and so on the way guess who they're going to run into the israelites in the wilderness that's very interesting. I mean, you get to think about this. If you were to take 600,000 people to maybe a million people, and have them go from one place to another, what's that going to look like? <laughs> right? It's probably not like uh, just one great, big old massive thing. It's going to be a long, long line. It's going to be miles and miles long. Now, who's going to be at the end of the line? My wife always gets on to me cuz whenever we go walking, especially if we go walking with the kids, Brooklyn and Isaiah, and we go take a walk, Brooklyn and I we're walking like this, you know, we're just like we have a place to go, we're moving around, we're fast, you know. And Wendy is back there and she's like, "Oh, would you slow down." Okay? And Isaiah is always really good cuz he'll stay with his mom and he walks her pace. So if you're walking that crazy long line who's at the end? The slow people. The older people, right? People with special needs. People have injuries. Who's at the end of the line? It'd be the defenseless, the weak, right? And when Amalek decides to attack Israel, what do they attack? Do they go to the front of the line and try to knock out the head of the long line? No, 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 no. They preyed on the weakest, the poorest, the suffering, the oldest of Israel. And that is where the hatred began, right? It's one thing to pick on our strongest, right? But it's a whole different thing to pick on our weakest. Have somebody mess with one of our little kids around here. You think that wouldn't light some people on fire? Right? Really, right? You guys have all seen mama bears, haven't you? (laughs) right? Somebody attacks a little bitty child. Even as we get older, still somebody attacks our children we're like, uh-uh, right? Because we view them as our, we're their protector and they're the weak ones. In the same way, have you ever seen somebody attack an elderly person? What does that do in your heart when you see that, right? When people prey on the elderly? Oh, it just creates that righteous indignation, and it should, right? Well, that's what, man, Rick, you are amazing. Are you starting to feel it a little bit? Okay. Um, Nick, why don't you come up here for a second? And Greg, do you mind coming up here for a second? Um, Yeah. If you guys, if you would, can you move this pew around so Rick can sit down? You go ahead, sit down, Rick. That's good. Now, Moses didn't have a cushy pew, but he was like this, okay? And then if you guys just help him hold the stick up. Is that a little better? <laughs> All right. Um, today, what we're going to look at is just exactly kind of the example that happened here with Moses. And uh, we'll make you her. You're the younger guy, right? We'll make Greg Aaron, okay? And these two men came alongside this man in order to help make a difference for the kingdom of God. That's the picture, Okay. You guys, you can go be seated. Thank you so much for your help. Can you let go, Rick? (laughs) He's stuck to it. We're going to see the importance of when we get weary, we get worn out, how important it is to have some friends. All right, jump back in with me. Israel was weary. They were worn out. They were susceptible to attack. And you guys will know this as we work our way through this warrior series. Realize this. Look at this up here. The flesh... And the devil will wage their attack, not when you are well-rested, not when you are well-fed, right, Dasha? Not when you are financially sound, but when you are what? When you are tired and grouchy and hungry and stressed and needy. He's looking. Your flesh is looking. Sometimes the enemy isn't even the devil. Sometimes the enemy is our own flesh. And when we run into these things, we're going to have problems, right? Your preacher doesn't do well on low, low sleep. I make terrible decisions, and I get really grouchy. Now, you guys, I try to be nice to you regardless most of the time, but ask my wife. She can tell you, right? I'm not always nice, especially if I am sleepy. Many of these things, what I want you to see today is we don't have control over all of them, do we? Sometimes you don't get the sleep you want, and it's out of your control, right? Sometimes the refrigerator breaks and the garage breaks and the car stops working and then you get the ticket and all that stuff goes all together, doesn't it, right? You're like, oh, you don't always have control over all these things. But here's what I want to challenge you with today. We need to encourage each other to make good decisions in the areas where we do have control. And again, what I hope you'll hear is that these are some physical things, but they have spiritual implications, Michael's done a great job of reminding us we're in a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. But when our flesh is so weakened, then it really is hard for our spirit to take the lead. So again, you know the principles. I want you to think briefly about these. You've heard them all your life. Eat better, exercise, get your rest, don't watch so much TV, make good choices with your money, okay? But that's not what I want you to focus on today. Here's what I want you to hear today. What we may forget sometimes is how important it is for us to get encouragement from brothers and sisters in Christ, and for us to encourage brothers and sisters in these areas too. How many of you need help? How many of you will be willing to let someone help you? All right? It's hard for me, again, just tradition today. Melissa, I'm coming in, I have my guitar, and she sees my hands are full. But it's hard for me to let her hold the door for me. That's not how this works. All right? I can do this. I do this all the time. I carry these things and open the door. You should go in. I don't need help. Are you that way? I can see some people smiling. I can tell you a good person here this morning who probably tells a lot about that. Uh, Mr. Robert knows what it is to be self-sufficient and then like, oh, now and then he has to ask for help sometimes and it just kills his soul right? And I have that same struggle in me. It's like, I don't need your help. I can do this. I'm one of those people that when you go to the hotel and the guy comes down and he wants to take your luggage, well, I have two problems. One, I'm a cheapskate. And two, I can do this myself. Why am I going to pay you to take luggage up to my room when I can do it myself and save the money both, right? I mean, this is ridiculous, right? I can do this. I don't need your help you hear the Lord today in a spiritual battle, this is what I'm challenging with, you need to accept help. Everybody listening, I feel like I need to call names this morning. Are you hearing the Lord today? When the Lord speaks and he says, you need to accept help, you need to take it. It is not easy, but you need to take it. then the flip side is true today as well, right? Some of us need to be giving help. Some of us, sometimes we get so absorbed in our situation I don't have enough money for this and I don't have enough time for this and I can't get my sleep when I need it and I just, ah, how am I going to make all this happen? That we forget and we miss somebody that's walking right by us that we could help, that God will resource us with what we need to help them at that time. But we're so inwardly focused that we miss it. So today I want to challenge you as we enter that weariness of war to pay attention and to accept help and also to give it. Briefly this morning, what refreshes you? What refreshes you? It's going to be different for different people, isn't it, right? What energizes you, right? Today, if you are an extrovert, that doesn't mean that you're loud and you're obnoxious and that you're all outgoing. People usually think that's what extrovert means. But today, if you're an extrovert, that means you get energy from being with people. Your preacher is definitely an extrovert in that way. I love to be with people. I love to talk to you guys. I love to get to know you. And when I'm with people and talking with people, then I feel better. I feel refreshed. I'm ready to go. An introvert, when they are with people, what happens? It drains them. Oh, I got to go be around these people? I don't, That's going to just wear me out. I can't even bear to hardly go be around people. And you may be the most outgoing and vocal and verbal person, but when you go be around people and you feel drained, guess what? You're an introvert. So what we have to decide is, Lord, help us to do the things that refresh us. And you're going to find different things, okay? For me to listen to music, to worship that way, that always refreshes me. You need to follow the leading of the Spirit, but make sure you're taking some time to get recharged. When we are weary and worn out, poor decisions are so much easier to make. Amen? How many of you tried to drive somewhere when you shouldn't have because you were so asleep? Right? I've had at least two occasions, which shows really poor decision-making on my part, because I should have learned my lesson from the first time, right? But I have woke up on the side of the road almost in the ditch. That is not good, is it? Right? And this is way back. I have learned my lessons, at least. This was when I was a lot younger. Okay? And there was one time Wendy and I were coming back with our kids from E-Team. Brooklyn had done an E-Team, and we were trying to, again, the cheapskate. Now, to buy a hotel. Let's just drive home from Nashville to Indiana. About 1 30 in the morning, right? You make poor decisions when you're not well rested. And some of those things definitely, that was something I could have controlled and I didn't. And I'm encouraging you today to don't let yourself, where you can control those things, keep yourself in check and let people encourage you in those areas. Real quickly, who should you be encouraging this week? What areas do we need to focus on? And I would challenge you, just start with one. Again, Amalek attacked those who were at the back, probably the weak, probably the elderly. And then what the scripture says and what the real problem is here is they had no fear of God. This was a spiritual thing. We don't care who your God is. Oh, we've heard these stories about crossing the Red Sea. We've heard what they said you did to the Egyptians, but your God is powerless against us. We'll show you. And what's God going to do in that situation? God will always glorify his name. And God makes a promise. We'll talk more about that in just a second. And so Moses is actually going to start out and make a difference. He's speaking here to the people and reminding them to have their faith in the Lord. God will bring justice for his people. Never forget that. And so what did Moses stand up there with? Well, he stands up with that staff, right? And do you guys remember how the staff was used initially? What was one of the first things that God did with Moses and the staff? you throw it down and it became a, a snake, right? Now, for some of you, just even think about that. You wouldn't even touch this staff, right? <laughs> it's like, I don't mess with any snakes, right? And if you'll remember that, that even the Egyptians were able to replicate that, right? And their, uh, their magicians were able to do the same thing. But later on, there were some things done with the staff, too. And so as they made their way uh, across the Red Sea, was the staff there? Yeah, it was in that story, right? And actually, if you were to look, and I'm not going to go with the whole thing, but you can look right in the top of chapter 17 here today, and you'll find this is the one time that God told Moses he could strike the rock and water would come out for the people. The people were complaining and whining. We're going to die of thirst. Why did we ever leave Egypt? They always say that, don't they? Why did we ever leave Egypt? <laughs> And God said, Moses, this time you can strike the rock, and water came out. And he called the place Meribah, which means whining and complaining. Right? Wouldn't you have your city named Whining and Complaining? Right? And so then in this instance, what Moses is saying is to, his, to Joshua, who's leading the armies, he says, I'm going to take the staff of God, the presence of God, we're going to seek God, and I'm going to hold it up as a reminder that we are seeking the Lord in our battle. Okay, some of you guys have been trying to seek the Lord in your battle this week, haven't you? And what I'm telling you is that sometimes we get weary, don't we? Rick was amazing. I couldn't believe he held it up that long. <laughs> like that, that was pretty awesome. I was like, There's, "I couldn't even do that. I wouldn't do that." But even as good as he did, he's getting tired, isn't he? Um, you guys, can I be real clear with you today? There's some people in our church who are pretty tired. They love the Lord they've been trying to follow him been trying to seek him but they just get tired of this attack and that attack they get they try to make good decisions and they keep pursuing but every now and then something doesn't go right and they get just like i don't know i don't know what to do and what they need today is some people like greg and nick to come up and say hey i got you have a seat hey come here let me grab one side of that staff we need the Lord's power. We need His presence. we're not doing it on our own, but let me pick up a side. All right? Some of you today need to let somebody pick up one side of that staff, and some of you today need to go and help hold up staff. Right. We shared this morning in our Sunday school class a reminder that everybody who is a disciple of Christ needs to have a mentor and a mentee. You need to have somebody that you're growing from and that you're learning from, but you also need to have somebody that you're bringing along. Well, let's look briefly at the the hands held high down in verse 10. So the scripture says, Moses writes, book of Exodus, verse 10, So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so his hands remained steady till sunset. And look at verse 13. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And part of the reason was because two guys held up Moses' hands. <laughs> Think about that. The Lord may be wanting to do an incredible victory through somebody in our church who right now is torn down and beaten and worn out and weary. And it may be a simple act of us lifting up their arms in prayer or through encouragement or just fellowship or meeting a need. And by holding them up, God is going to do something huge. (laughs) But we got to decide to step in. And today, that's what I want you through the Spirit's power. I want you to try to discern, Lord, what is it? Who am I supposed to be helping? Again, I remind you just a few things you already know. War is wearisome, right? I don't know that from experience. Some of you guys do. War will wear you out, won't it? We can see it uh, as a nation, how it even will wear out a nation. Also, war is expensive, right? It is costly. I mean, it is costly in materials and and man hours, but it is also costly In lives, right? It's also costly in mental health. How many, and Michael has shared this before, our chaplains today, some of their main responsibility is trying to protect our soldiers from suicide because that is one of the greatest things that they face. That's the cost of war. It is expensive in that respect. It can be painful and discouraging, and every now and then we hear this, and we're so sad when we hear of it, but occasionally there's friendly fire, right? In war, accidentally we dropped a ammunition somewhere and it extended further than we thought or we had the wrong coordinates and the damage that it does, right? Is there ever friendly fire in a spiritual battle? There can be, right? What you, I thought, what are you doing? I was after this. Well, I was after this and we end up fighting people that we're on the same team. <laughs> that happens way more than it should in our spiritual battle and there are definitely highs and those. Trying to live for Christ is very familiar, very similar to this idea of war being wearisome. It can be costly. It can be discouraging. And occasionally we hit friendly fire. If you guys remember, even not too long ago, we did a whole series on church hurts. Right? You know what church hurts are? If you talk to many people very long, you'll find somebody that's been hurt by the church. Right? Yeah. What church was supposed to be, it wasn't. You know, we've seen it through, on a very deep, dark level, we've seen it through, like, sexual abuse scandals, right? I mean, that is, but a lot of things are a lot smaller than that. Uh, Somebody comes into a church, not necessarily even a Christian, and the first thing they get is, well, you're not wearing the right clothes. (laughs) You don't look like we look, so you need to get yourself right. Right? I can't believe that. Did you see that, the way that she was? Did you see what he was doing? Yeah. Yeah little different cliques, right? Well, so-and-so's in the pastor's circle and -and so-and-so's not, or so-and-so's in this cool people's circle at this church and -and so-and-so people's not, right? Again, what's pretty awesome so far at our church is that all the different age levels and we're able to go together, pray the Lord, he protects that in us, right? And we continue to preserve that, but a lot of churches, we get groups of people, that's what happens, right? Church can hurt, and it can get weary, and in the battle, we can get weary. And so, we need to be mindful, mindful that we go and pursue the Lord to help us through those types of things. Even this week, and I think I could see this in Michael, some of you probably have seen this from me from time to time. When that new adventure starts, what happens? Whoa, right? <laughs> Let's go. And then, especially for your preacher here, especially we get a series going. I remember the Unstuck series. I had never been so pumped in a long time about putting something together. We had banners. We had yard signs. I even put a flag or a kite up in a tree just so people could see outside what we were doing. I was talking to all these people. First Sunday, we had people happening, you know, a few weeks before. I thought God was going to do this great thing. And we came the first Sunday and nobody came. And you could have just put me in the ground then. (laughs) <laughs> just so ready to go and it's like what happened and that can happen too in battle can it right you get excited you can see what may can happen and it doesn't happen the way you want and the next thing you know you are weary well here's the thing you need someone to hold your hands up and you need to hold up somebody else's hands the way Paul writes in Galatians 6 is this. He says, "Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we what? If we do not give up." Can you hear the Lord today? Don't quit. Right? Fall down. Yeah, you're going to fall down. You're going to sin, you're going to mess up. You're going to those areas where you had control, Like the preacher, you drove the night you weren't supposed to be driving, you went ahead and did it anyway, and you mess up. Lord, forgive me, and then, Lord, give me strength to take the next step. And then what I'm challenging you today is to figure out who it is here or in your work community or in your neighborhood. Where do you need to go and lift up somebody's hands? Hold them up a little bit. Maybe even your own family, it's someone that you need to go and say, I got your back. I got your side. I'm praying for you. I want to encourage you. How can I help you make your way through this battle? Because I know it is weary. We can't fight it alone. We've got to help somebody else, and we've got to receive help. Finally, God makes a promise. Look down in verse 14, just a reminder of his character. and I did not want to skip over this. The Scripture says, The Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. And make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, and he called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Did you catch that God made a promise here? Again, these people had attacked his people, and not just attacked them, but attacked the weakest among them, and they did it with an attitude of, "We don't fear your God. We don't respect Him whatsoever." And God said, "You will respect Me, and you will respect My people." That's the God we serve. Sometimes we forget about that. He's loving. He's kind. He's compassionate. But He's also just. Amen. And He will carry out what He said He will do. Well, you guys know the story, right? You know the rest of the story. Uh, Down the road in the book of Samuel, we hear a little story about a king named Saul. Remember, Saul was a head taller than everybody else. And Saul was supposed to be obeying the Lord. Saul did some really good things initially, and Samuel loved Saul greatly. And God at the time said, hey, we have conquered the lands. You've got the promise you were supposed to give. I want you now, Saul, to go and do my bidding. I want you to take away Amalek as I have asked you to do. And Saul goes to fight Amalek, and he decides to make a few adjustments to God's plan. You ever do that? God, here's your plan. I'm going to make a few. I think these are just guidelines, right? We do that, don't we? And that's what Saul did. Well, you know what I think I'll do? I know I'm supposed to get rid of all the animals, but I think I'm going to bring back some of the best animals, and we'll just tell Samuel that we're going to offer them to God, and then we can have really good steak for a while. Seriously, Right? Well, I know I was supposed to take care of the king there and leave him there, but wouldn't it be even better if we could bring him back and have a parade and show everybody how mighty and powerful that I am? Wouldn't that be awesome? And as Samuel is talking to Saul, he says, hey, Saul, did you do what the Lord asked you to do? You know, and he already knew. Don't you hate those prophets? (laughs) They already knew. And Samuel says, uh, and Saul says, oh yeah, I did exactly what God wanted me to do. And Samuel says, well, what is the bleeding of the sheep that I hear in the background? Hmm. By the way, God knows. You're trying to hide something from God? What, how silly we are, right? We do all do that, but why? God knows. And then we have this incredible truth from that, 1 Samuel chapter 15, where Samuel says to Saul, to obey is better than a sacrifice. Remember Saul's justification? Oh, I'm going to give the best of the animals and it'll be the sweet savor to God and we'll have this great worship. I'm going to bring this guy through town and we'll, we'll praise God because we've got the king. And Samuel says, God doesn't care about your sacrifice. He cares about your obedience. That is your true worship. Well, it wasn't a little too much longer, you'll find in the scriptures that God actually follows through on his promise in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. And God keeps his word, and we have no more Amalek. So here's what I want you to be mindful of this morning. God will destroy his enemy, and he will provide for his people. Mark it down. God makes a promise. It may not be fulfilled in our lifetime. It will be fulfilled. That We talked about this briefly last week. That goes for the plus and the negative, Right? God says, if you will accept the gift of my son, even though you are a horrible sinner, if you'll repent of your sins and trust him, I will come into your heart and create a brand new life and you will have a hope of heaven with me for eternity. That's a promise. But if you reject the gift of my son? You say, I don't fear God. You will face God's wrath. That's a promise. Okay, it's very clearly laid out. God will bring justice, even as he brought it, in his son Jesus. All right, We are at the end of our message today. I want to read you this uh, brief story and it's so powerful about what a few people can do when they are willing to hold up the staff for somebody else. And while you're hearing the story this morning as we kind of conclude and then as we make our way to prayer time, would you really say Lord, would you help me know who it is I'm supposed to help this week? We're going to give you some challenges throughout the week but we want you to be guided by the Holy Spirit not just by us or by your You're thinking, we want to know, Lord, who do I need to help hold up the rod for? So as you hear the story today, be in prayer and ask the Lord to guide you this week of who you can help. It's from Bob Green. He says, 10 days after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, residents of North Platte, Nebraska heard a rumor that soldiers from their town, part of the Nebraska National Guard, Company D, would be coming through on a troop train on their way to the West Coast. So, about 500 people showed up at the train depot with food and gifts and letters and love to give their soldier boys. When the train showed up, it was not the Nebraska National Guard Company D boys on board. It was actually the soldiers from the Kansas National Guard Company D. (laughs) Well, the North Platte residents decided to go ahead and give out their gifts to these soldiers that they did not know. It was a spontaneous act of genuine devotion. That touched both the soldiers and the people who came to the depot that day. A few days later, a 26-year-old woman named Ray Wilson wrote a letter to the editor of the local paper recounting the profound experience that they had shared that night. She then suggested the town organize a canteen so they could do something similar for every troop train that came through. And she offered to lead the effort as a volunteer. For the next four and a half years, the people of North Platte and the surrounding communities met every troop train that came through their town. Every day they prepared sandwiches, cookies, cold drinks, and hot coffee. They had baskets of magazines and books to give away to the soldiers and snacks for the train. There were even birthday cakes for anyone having a special day. And they did this some days for as many as 8,000 soldiers and sailors. The statistics are staggering. By the time the last train arrived on April 1st of 1946, six million soldiers had been blessed by the North Platte canteen. 45,000 volunteers had served faithfully until the war was over and most of the troops had been transported home. That's awesome, isn't it? Now look at this. If the residents of North Platte were that dedicated to doing whatever they could, To help win World War II and to serve the soldiers. Christians should be even more committed to serve the Lord any way they can. Right? And you know how they served, right? They weren't building rockets and they weren't building airplanes, they were handing out sandwiches. They were taking paper bags and pepperoni and cheese to the library. Praise the Lord. They were doing little things, but on a consistent basis. And you could count on them. And that love that counted on helped lift up somebody that needed their hands held high. Who is it this week that you need to lift up their hands? Let's stand this morning. I'm going to go play at the piano. Today, if uh, the Lord is challenging you, maybe you've been stubborn. And you're like, I don't need help. I don't need anybody to help me. And God's telling you today, you do need help and you need to accept it. And you want to come forward today and say, Lord, change my heart so that I can receive the help that I need. We encourage you to do that. And Today, maybe it's like the Lord is just really wearing out your heart about a person that you need to pray for. You feel free to grab a person in the congregation, come to this altar and kneel and pray and pray for that person that God would let you lift up their hands. And I just want to challenge you this week to be obedient and to really look for opportunity to make a difference. So Let's take a little time this morning as we close up this morning and just pray for yourself and pray for those that the Lord has put on your heart and pray that we can hold their hands up high.